The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very good morning, everybody. This is Squawk Box. The headlines this hour, we focus on the markets. U.S. equities sell off, putting the Nasdaq and the S&P on track for their second week of losses. Sentiment taking a hit as the the Senate votes down a Republican stimulus bill. Uh, Elsewhere, we've got Britain rejecting the European Commission's ultimatum to launch legal action against the U.K. unless it scraps plans to break the Brexit treaty. Rio Tinto CEO Jean-Sebastien Jacques steps down amid outrage over the destruction of two Aboriginal sites following an investigation into the miners' handling of the incident. President Trump says there'll be no extension to a September 15th deadline for ByteDance to sell its TikTok assets in the United States. Let's focus a little bit on this uh, market action yesterday and uh, round up uh, some of the uh, price action and give you a, a few thoughts about what the markets are saying about the price action. So there are the raw numbers. And as you can see, we had broad selling across the board. The Dow was down, but the Nasdaq was also down just a little bit more perhaps than we saw with the Dow and the S&P. But these numbers are, are, are largely comparable. So it looks like a, a broader sell-off. And ultimately, what we've seen week to date here because of those first three days of weaker action uh, that we had uh, over the course of the five trading days, the Dow now off uh, over 2% week to date, the S&P off 2.5% week to date, but obviously the Nasdaq takes the trophy here down nearly 3.5% week to date. Just a few thoughts to throw in here. The um, investment banks are giving us uh, updated views on where they think different asset classes are running to the end of the year. Interesting that Goldman now has put itself out there ahead of the rest of the pack in calling for this 35% jump in third quarter GDP. That's a much higher expectation than we see elsewhere. Maybe Goldman sees something better in the jobs numbers than I think we actually saw yesterday around claims. But Bank of America also talking about this positive pickup in the macro, leading ultimately to the 10-year Treasury yield back at 1% by the end of the year. And that seems in the light of the range trading we've had in the Treasury between 0.6 and 0.7 over recent weeks. That seems quite a bold call at this point. But largely, they're clustering around this idea that there will be better economic activity. The question is, given the uh, trade we saw on the major indices, are the markets buying in to the growth? Or are they worried that the growth actually limits further stimulus from central bank or government at this stage? There's been a big assumption in the markets that a vaccine will finally get developed at some point. I mean, there's been so much vaccine used from so many quarters. So I think many market participants think it's just a matter of time. The AstraZeneca news this week, the, the pause in the, the, the process around the phase three clinical trials because of the, the effects with one patient. I think that's been a big negative because it's, you know, brought to the fore again. Are we, have we got the time frame right? Will there even be a vaccine? 
vaccine? If not, are some of these GDP assumptions completely wrong? Do you, do you get a large-scale change in the way people feel about the recovery across economies? So I think that's a big one. But it also takes us back to where technology is, because while we've been in lockdown and you see more severe restrictions, it's clearly changed a lot of habits, consumption habits from home, remote working from home, and even learning from home. And that has meant an acceleration in some of the trends we've seen in the tech stocks. And if we just take stock, I mean, there's been a couple of big movers for the markets, Microsoft and Apple in particular this week. And you could see it was a move to the downside in session yesterday, right across the board. Uh, the big move for one this time around was Apple for most of the major indices. It uh, had the most negative impact on the S&P 500 and also the Nasdaq. Over the course of the week, if we can flip over the charts, you can see how they, they fared. And we're looking at what, uh, for in some cases, low single digit declines, in some cases a little bit more coming off some of these stock prices. But in context, the extraordinary run up you've seen in these names, it is just coming off uh, from some of those higher ranges. We've also got more news flow coming and Apple's got another big event priced in the markets, closely watching Microsoft for any dividend news. So there's still a lot of moving parts, I think, around what tech may do in coming weeks, Steve. Yeah, shocking, isn't it, for those momentum traders to realise that actually there are two ways to a market? How extraordinary. Look, if you tap into your search engine, the words US SME bankruptcies, it is a litany of woe. And I take no pleasure in saying that. It is horrendous. I'll just read you the top three searches on my page. Thousands of small businesses going bankrupt in the US. Over 100,000 small businesses have closed forever. That's the post on the 12th of May. It's now easier than ever for US small businesses to go bankrupt. At chapter 11 US commercial bankruptcies up 43% in June. It goes on and on and on. So there is a different market out there if you're an SME compared with being one of those big cat names that has only just literally turned around in the last week or so. Whether they go back again, that's above my pay grade. But looking at the performance of the Russell compared uh, with those big uh, names, not just the tech names either, the likes of the S&P uh, and the Dow as well. It has significantly underperformed, as you all know, uh, going way back since your inauguration and before that as well. The performance of the Russell 2K compared with the big caps has been a woeful tower as well. But in the week to date, I mean, dare I say it, its losses are still there. Week to date down 1.8%, but that is much better than some of those peers, including the, uh, the Nasdaq that Jeff mentioned. I will mention the Nasdaq 100 as well, by the way. That's down over 4% week to date as well. Here's an interesting Interesting stat. As of the 7th of September, so admittedly it's, it's four days out of date, this piece of uh, data, but the market cap, you'll like this one, Karen Jeff, the market cap of the Russell 2K was equivalent to 2.29 trillion US dollars, which just happened to be the exact same market cap as Apple. Isn't that a staggering statistic? Back to you both. That is nosebleed arresting, I would have to say. What a remarkable number. Uh, Good data, Steve. Let's uh, pick up on the Brexit story here. Sterling has come under pressure this week as stalling Brexit negotiations erode trust between Brussels and London, adding further weight to a no-deal scenario. Uh, the uh, UK... Well, something's just popped up in the autocue, which I'm not quite sure it's there, but let's just ignore that. And let's bring in uh, Thomas Pugh, who joins us from Capital Economics. Uh, Thomas, good morning to you. Welcome. Um, let me just ask you, um, on this sterling move, um, we've, we've, we've had a, um, what, what would 
obviously represent a reasonable move reflecting concern in the markets about the prospects of a deal here. But we are a long way away from the lows that we saw from sterling over the last uh, four years, even as recently as the beginning of the year. What do you think the new range looks like in the light of the information we now have? Morning. Thanks for having me. Um, Yeah, I mean, I I guess until recently, it kind of looked like the markets had completely forgotten about Brexit. Um, And then, as you say, we've seen a a pretty big fall in sterling over the last week. Um, There's probably a little bit further to go based on the kind of betting odds that we see in the market. There's probably a 40 to 45% chance of a no deal outcome. That's probably means the pound should be closer to 126, 125 than 128. Um, But of course, nobody knows whether this is uh, posturing or if it's setting up for a no deal. So, you know, a a range around 120, 125, between 125 and, and 30 probably seems reasonable. So given where we are at this point, um, what do you think for our audience who want to make money out of trading sterling at the moment? Do they buy dollar or do they buy euros? Which will give them the biggest move? I mean, if you're trading the the, the Brexit um, angle, the probably the the sterling euro market is probably probably closer reflects. Um, those specific odds. There's obviously a lot more noise um, in the sterling dollar trade, um, but we would say that we think there's probably more more downside risk to sterling than there is upside, um, given what's now priced into the market. Can we get into uh, some of the logistics behind the scenes here? So the Prime Minister has proposed this internal market bill. It uh, will be formally debated by MPs in the House of Commons for the first time on Monday. It feels as though, as we are on a very tight deadline here, having more bills to be debated at the very end of this process, as it should be, seems to be another delay tactic when there is no ability to delay at this point. Or am I wrong on that? Can we just renegotiate some time frame? Can there be another fake deadline erected at some point? Yeah, we've seen this kind of time and time again, these deadlines that they put up. So the latest one is the, the 15th of October. Um, but there's always wiggle room around these things. Um, you know, Even if it's we're, we're 90% of the way there and we just need a couple of extra weeks to get it over the line, that's fine. Or as we've seen four or five times now, they just simply extend the deadline. They come up with a new agreement with a new deadline and just kick the can down the road. So um I'm not 100% convinced that the 15th of October is the, the real hard deadline that I think Boris makes it out to be. Uh, Thomas, we, we've gone from thinking that the nirvana for sterling and for the British economy is a deal with the EU and thinking that the downside is WTO rules. Do we need to reassess the downside in the same way that WTI traders in April reassess their downside, i.e. is the downside not WTO rules, but actually a trade war with Europe, which uh, uh, threats have been made on both sides of the channel? I mean, Potentially, that could be an absolute worst case scenario. We're not um, we're not expecting or forecasting anything like that. You know, that really goes beyond um, simply failing to agree something, and would would involve both sides kind of actively trying to to damage the other, which which at this point seems still seems 
quite unlikely. Um, so our worst case scenario is still uh, that there's just simply a, a WTO um, agreement rather than a full-fledged kind of Brexit deal. Thomas, I think that people need to put this scenario in. I'm not saying it's the base case scenario. I'm not saying it's top of the bell curve. But but, but, but we've got two issues of, of principle here. You've got the principle of Ireland's sovereignty or a nation's sovereignty, which the British seem determined to hang on to. And then you've got the principle of, of the integrity of the single market and the political union, which the Europeans seem determined to hang on to as well. I, I don't understand why that's not in anyone's scenario, that actually these two principles, which we know the EU is a political project, whether we like it or not, from the Treaty of Rome onwards back in the 50s, this has been a political project. And we know that the Brexiteers are hanging clearly to some form of sovereignty. Why aren't we putting this into the scenario? If so, we need to reassess our downside, don't we? It's a fair point. But I think the idea of a, of a trade war kind of would imply that tariffs would go above and beyond what they would be under a WTO scenario. So you would move to the WTO scenario and then you would go even further by imposing additional tariffs uh, and additional kind of quotas on each other's um, trade between the UK and the EU. Um, given the probably you know, the disruption and the dislocation that a no deal would already cause, I think it seems quite unlikely that either the, the UK government or the EU government would want to pile additional uh, uncertainty and additional disruption onto onto its businesses. Uh, we're going to wrap it up, Thomas. Great to have you on the programme. Thanks for giving us your, uh, your views this morning. Thomas Pugh joining us from Capital Economics. Uh, and just as we uh, part with the Brexit story, um, let's just remind you how the UK Cabinet Officer Michael Gove uh, reflected on the UK's position and said it would hold firm on its internal market legislation. Let's have a listen. I made it perfectly clear to Vice President Shevkovich um, that we would not be withdrawing this legislation. Um, and he understood that. Of course, he regretted it. Uh, but we also stressed the vital importance of making progress. There have been some who argued that uh, this legislation is an attempt to somehow set aside the withdrawal agreement or to shirk from the implementation of the protocol. Not at all. Uh, the UK government has been spending hundreds of millions of pounds in order to prepare Northern Ireland businesses for the protocol. That hasn't always been popular with everyone in Northern Ireland, but we've been determined to do it because we are absolutely serious about the implementation of the protocol. Let's take a quick look at the euro this morning after we saw some movement yesterday uh, around comments from Christine Lagarde about monitoring uh, the exchange rate. Uh, 118.34 this morning. So we've drifted off those high ranges of 119 briefly yesterday. Now, the ECB president, Christine Lagarde, said the central bank is monitoring the stronger euro, but out of the exchange rate is not a policy tool. And this is the ECB extended its asset purchases to June of next year after keeping its current rate of policy measures unchanged in September. The central bank also held rates steady at minus 0.5%. Lagarde highlighted how the stronger euro could impact inflation targets. We do not target, uh, but we monitor, and we monitor carefully, because obviously the appreciation of our currency has an impact uh, on, on our inflation. And uh, as I said, it's not a policy target for us. 
Uh, and I'm not going to comment on, on the level of our currency, but it is clear that the, the external value of the euro is an important determinant of price setting in the euro area. So we will continue to monitor the development and be uh, very attentive to them. Christine Lagarde. Well, coming up, former Fed Chair Alan Greenspan lists his two biggest concerns for the U.S. economy. We'll have more on that in uh, just a moment when we come back. Uh, And just a reminder, if you want to keep up to date with the market news and the latest on the Brexit talks, check out the Squawk Box podcast. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music and Google Podcasts. Uh, welcome back, everybody. Let's just update you on the trade on the Asian markets at the moment. This is the current picture as to where sentiment lies. And as you can see, you know, broadly, we have a positive session going on here in Asia at this hour. The Hong Kong market up uh, four tenths of one percent, Japan up uh, six tenths of one percent as we continue to monitor the hustings, the politics around the LDP and ultimately who will become the new leader of Japan. So the opening calls uh, let's just uh, give you a, a snapshot on uh, where we're called to open early doors. Um, they are suggesting a negative start to the session, but we'll get a better quality look at uh, the opening calls as we get a little closer to the start of the trading session. Very early on the U.S. futures, but worth just dipping in for a moment. And as we've seen, actually, for most of the week, even as we've had a uh, weekday of uh, trade, the futures at this hour generally imply that we'll get a positive start to the session. So uh, take it with a pinch of salt, I would suggest at this point, until we get a little closer to the open and some uh, better flow through those numbers. Uh, former Fed Chair Alan Greenspan has cited the budget deficit and inflation as his biggest concerns for the U.S. economy. Speaking to CNBC, the man who coined the phrase irrational exuberance way back in 1996 issued a downbeat outlook. The inflational outlook is unfortunately negative and uh, essentially the result of uh, basically the huge increase in entitlements that are crowding out uh, private investment and productivity growth. My major concern is inflation. It obviously hasn't emerged in any significant way as yet, but I think that's the area where I think our problems lie. Now, very interesting that Alan Greenspan flags up inflation at this point. And, and um, I think some of his other points are well taken here. The level of claims now, uh, 29.6 million Americans are receiving benefits of some kind here, which, again, is an interesting counterpoint to the likes of Goldman's and these other investment banks who feel that we are returning to some sense of normal around economic activity. And I think... Um, you know, whilst uh, he flags up concerns about inflation, the kind of inflation I think that's being talked about is clearly not the kind of inflation that comes from excessive demand 
and uh, too much money flowing around the economy. It's the kind of inflation that comes from too little supply because uh, companies have shut down. I think Steve was telling us a little bit earlier about what the closure rate looks like for some of these small and mid-sized businesses. So I take on board Alan Greenspan's comments. The question at this stage for me is how clear will the recovery picture look like as we come through the third quarter here and we come to the end of all these furlough programs and we ultimately see some of the fog of war um, uh, dissipate and we get a real good hard look at the data. I took away from Greenspan's comments that perhaps there's too much short-termism in the thinking that the government, that Treasury, the central bank is too concerned at this stage with the uh, current situation, the economic crisis, and not thinking down the track. And he was pointing effectively to the ageing population, the cost of those retirement to benefits that will be required down the track. So he's concerned about the amount of government spending and what that means when you're constrained down the track. And it is a fair point. If you look at the crisis now and you throw everything at it, are you then constrained down the track when you have another generational shift? So I think that was really interesting to hear him flag up uh, uh, some of the, the short-term thinking. Also, quite refreshing, he was talking about uh, everybody just pretending to know something about the virus. And it's quite true. Ever since this coronavirus first hit, we've all been scrambling, trying to come up with some facts about it, how it could impl- have implications for the markets, how it could impact the economy. But the reality is like a lot of people just pretending nobody knows that much about it. And I think that was a fair point at this stage. It's a, it's a lot of guesswork. And that is a problem if you're trying to make hard and fast assessments on uh, the economic targets. And I think that's where policymakers have struggled in recent months. Steve? I'll show you inflation. Is inflation absolutely rife and it's everywhere? There you go. That upsets a few people. I'm not talking about CPI. CPI today, by the way, 0.3%. It's going to be 1.7% on a rolling basis. That ain't the inflation I'm talking about. This is the inflation. Kakao Gaming yesterday, 1,500 times oversubscribed. Second bit of inflation. Robinhood Daily Trades back in uh, the last month, back in June, 4.3 million daily trades. By the way, that's more than uh, Ameritrade, 3.84. It's more than Interactive Brokers, 1.8 million. It's more than Charles Schwab, 1.8, and E-Trade, 1.1. A massive, massive increase. 13 million plus uh, Robinhood trading accounts. That's inflation. Do you want a bit more inflation? I'll get some today as well. It's the Treasury budget. It's gone up from $200 billion negative figure last year uh, to a negative $235 billion expected today. There is inflation right everywhere in the amount of debts we're taking on, in the amount of trading accounts happening, amount of people using their checks for stimulus to have a punt on the markets and buy call options as well. It terrifies me, that kind of inflation. Why the policymakers can't see it? I don't know. All right, Um, Steve, I think we're going to move on. Um, Let's um, kick the ball back to you. Shall I move on? I didn't know if it was me to move on or you. I'll move on, shall I? So I do the UK, uh, big pardon, US weekly jobless figures. Here we go. Okay, they came in at 884,000. That's worse than the 850,000 predicted by Dow Jones. Continuing claims also rose uh, slightly, um, sitting above 13.3 million. And meanwhile, benefit claims under the Pandemic Unemployment Assistance Programme also continue to rise as concerns of pandemic resurgence weighed on the economy. Elsewhere, uh, if we're looking for fiscal stimulus, it ain't there just yet as well. The Senate has failed to pass a new coronavirus stimulus package proposed by the Republican majority after not winning any votes from across the aisle. The bill would have included a trimmed down extension of unemployment assistance as well as new small business loans whilst leaving out some major social assistance measures. 
Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.